heritage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days that were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll commit this time to him. Father, we thank you once again that we can have your word and look into it this morning. And we pray that you would speak directly to each of our hearts today. Lord, I pray that you would simply use me as an instrument in your hand that I might encourage my brethren here to further keep their eyes focused upon you and put you first in their lives. Father, we thank you for the wonderful salvation that we enjoy. We have much to rejoice in and much to hope for. And we thank you that you are the focus of our hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a lot of rejoicing going on at the moment. I noticed around my neighbourhood there are a lot of people putting up Christmas tree, sorry, Christmas tree, Christmas lights on their house. And so there were people walking up and down because the, um, the weather's been quite good lately. Make the most of it, please. Um, and they're enjoying the lights and things. And people put a lot of uh, effort into those things. And a lot of people are spending time with their family at the moment and a lot of people doing you know a, a lot of things and and christmas means a lot of different things to a lot of people but the the basic uh, message of the christmas story is that god was fulfilling a promise and god's made a lot of promises to us if you read the bible they're full of promises and this particular promise god was fulfilling um was one where he would save us from our own sin and that's a good promise that he fulfilled that's a good one. The story of, of Christmas is about God's amazing love for mankind and what he did to save mankind and to, and to give them eternal life. But the story of Christmas, as we also understand, is a story of lost opportunity or missed opportunity. Now, God had foretold that he would send his son into the world uh, throughout the whole of Scripture. So from the beginning all the way to the last book that had been written before Christ was born, there were references in there as to who would come, how he would come, when he would come, and all the different details that God had provided uh, in terms of his birth, his lineage, his identity, what sort of house he came from, what to look out for when he had arrived into the world. And God had given plenty of detail about that including the miracles that he would do and, and what would happen. Um, the world had plenty of information, especially his own people, as to what to look out for. So they would prepare themselves for his coming. But they didn't. They missed the boat, as they say. While the world was sleeping, while the world slumbered and was too busy with their own lives, which is what normally happens during Christmas, they missed the point. They missed his arrival. God himself had entered into our world to save us. And he arrived with little to no fanfare. A lot of uh, fanfares made for things in this world, but when God arrived into this world, there was very little fanfare made. So the angels we hear rejoiced when they told that message to the shepherds who were watching their flocks in the fields. And apart from just a few people who were alert to the times and were watchful, the vast majority of the world was asleep and missed the whole thing. And what's most sad about this particular time is that his own people 
who had his word, who should have been ready for his arrival, um, were not. In fact, they were completely um, distracted by everything else as well. And so we have this really sad commentary in the book of John, which begins with uh, John chapter 1, verse 10. If you want to turn with me there, it tells us a bit about the circumstances that God found when he came into the world. He didn't find a world that was ready to receive him, that was prepared for his arrival. In fact, it tells us in John chapter 1, verse 10, he was in the world. He, that's God himself, the Son of God, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. They didn't recognize him. And what's even more sad, it says he came unto his own and his own received him not. The world was simply not prepared for the coming of the Son of God 2,000 years ago. And you know what the Bible tells us? The world will not be prepared when he comes back again. That's the sad story of mankind, that we keep missing the boat. We keep missing the obvious things that God has given to us. The world will not be ready for his second coming. But the good news for those few who are and were ready for his coming, it tells us in verse 12 of John chapter 1, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So that is the good news for us, and that's why we're celebrating today. Because if you're a believer this morning, if you've received Christ as your Lord and your Saviour, then you have much to rejoice in because you have been made a child of God. Now, that is good news, okay? But in order to receive him, you need to be prepared for him. You need to be re- recognise who he is because you're not going to receive someone you don't recognise. And last week, and I've been looking at this series on the, the heart of man, and I looked at this topic of preparation, of how we are called to prepare our hearts. And King David wanted to build a temple for God. He wanted to build a house for God and make it the best he possibly could. And God said, no, that's not your job. That's going to be the job of your son. But that didn't stop David from preparing all the material that was necessary for that. And so he spent a good portion of his time and his, and his resources to actually getting it ready. So when it came time for his son, when he was old enough to start building, it, he had all the materials he needed. And I liken that building of that temple and that excitement that David had to building the temple to the preparation that we have been called to put into our own hearts. Because these, believe it or not, is the, are the dwelling places that God has chosen for himself to live in. God doesn't dwell in buildings made of bricks and stone. God has chosen to dwell within the hearts of his own people. And so it starts with, I'm going to look at seven points today, It starts with the right attitude. It starts with setting your affection upon God. So turn back with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1. And I just want to just recap quickly the affection that David, King David had for God. And that affection came out in a number of different ways. And he wanted to build this house for God. But he knew he couldn't, so he just thought to himself, I'm going to prepare everything that I can. I'm going to give everything that I am so that God can have this magnificent 
And I love the, the term here. You'll notice he calls it a palace. Okay? You'll notice he doesn't call it a temple. He calls it a palace. Because who lives in a palace? The king. So he was building a house for his king. Okay? So 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1 says, Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great. For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God the gold for things to be made of gold, and the silver for the things of silver, and the brass for the things of brass, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, onyx stones and stones to be set, glistering stones and of, of diverse colours, and all manner of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. Moreover, because, and this is what I want you to pay specific attention to, because I have set my affection to the house of my God. I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. So David had given with all of his might, he had set his affection to this particular thing. He, he, his heart was set to do the very best that he could for God. And that's what I wanted to challenge us with last time. David realized he was building a house not for man, but for God. And he gave with all of his might because his affection ultimately was for God. He had God within his heart and he wanted to give him the very best that he had. Is that our desire this morning? Is God the first in our affections? And that's what I really want us to focus on. As we remember the birth of our Savior and much of the world is, is, uh, is rejoicing this morning, most of don't even realize what they're, what they're actually rejoicing about other than giving presents to each other and receiving presents. The question for us as believers is, is he the first in my affections? And it, he should be. The world was not ready to receive him when he arrived into this world. The question is, are we, is the house that we have and we have called a dwelling place for God himself, is that fit for him? Are we preparing that properly with, for, for our own lives? And so we have in this passage that I read previously, the world reminding us the world was not ready for his arrival. It was not prepared, okay, for his first coming. And that's why it tells us in Luke 2.7, and she brought forth, uh, forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them. And he, what a, it almost sounds so poetic, right? That sounds poetic. So she, she brought forth, forth her firstborn son. Mind you, it says firstborn. So Jesus had brothers after this, okay? Mary was not a perpetual virgin, as some might teach. This was her firstborn son because she had a second-born son and then a third-born son and sisters as well. But this lovely phrase, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Doesn't it sound like almost poetic? Until you start realising that wrap, wrapping him in swaddling clothes was wrap, wrapping him in um, torn sheets or torn cloth. Didn't have baby clothes. You know, nice baby clothes that fit him. She had to wrap him in sheets that had been ripped or, or material that had been ripped into, shre into shreds and actually wrapped him up with that. And the manger, if you don't know what a manger is, it's a place where animals feed. 
okay so it wasn't a crib it wasn't a cot it wasn't anything prepared for a child no they had nowhere else to put him the son of god except in a place and to clean out where the food had and the slobber had been of these animals that had been feeding in that and then put him in there and there was no room for them even at a hotel now, during COVID, most of the hotels were closed, but there was no room for them at any hotel. And they ended up give, she ended up giving birth to him in a, essentially a stable. So at his birth, there was no room for the Son of God. There was no room for him. And so, he had, so God made room for him in a stable. The Lord of the universe was born in a place that was not fit for a king, really, when you think of it. But we also know that during his ministry, there was still no room for him to stay. So you might think, oh, Jesus had thousands of followers and everything was wonderful and he was being... No. You know, Jesus tells a particular fellow who was seeking information and, and about salvation from him in Luke 9.58, it says, And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. So you might think, oh, by that stage, Jesus had plenty of followers and you know, there was a place for him where he could stay and relax. And No, there still wasn't room for him. And ultimately, we find at the end of his ministry, they had determined and people had determined there was no room for him in the world at all. Because there were some who made room for him. There were some who chose to receive him, who had their hearts ready to receive him. And if you think about it, that was the mission of John the Baptist. John the Baptist's mission was to help people prepare their hearts for his coming. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. It says there, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now when you first read that, you think, okay, there he goes. He was, he was telling everyone that the, the Messiah was coming, right? He was telling everyone that the king was coming, that God was, and they were to, to make ready for that as if you, you know, you're going to ro roll out the, the red carpet. Huh? But was he speaking about fixing up the potholes in the, on the roads? Like we've got a few extra potholes because of floods and things like that. Was he talking about fixing up the, you know, the state of the, of the way things look because the king was, no, no, he wasn't. He wasn't talking about physical things at all. He was talking about getting people's hearts ready to receive their king. Because if they didn't receive him in their heart, you could, as, as good as the roads are, it makes zero difference. To receive him by faith means that you have your heart prepared to receive him. And that should be true of us each and every day of our lives. You see, Jesus taught very clearly 
that the kingdom of God cometh not by observation, which means it's not a physical thing, like they tried to do during the Middle Ages with the with the um, with the Crusades and all that sort of stuff, trying to build empires and try to make you know the the Roman Empire a Christian. Doesn't come like that Christianity. Jesus says the kingdom of God cometh not by observation. The kingdom of God is within you. Where? In here. And this is the story of Christmas. And this is what we're going to be looking at just briefly. Just these few points. We're going to line up what um, David was doing in his preparation for that temple. And I'm also going to compare it to the few people that were ready to receive him when he arrived into this world. God wants us to be prepared by having our hearts prepared. And that is not something that we just do once in our lives. It's something we do every day of our lives. It's, uh, if we have a home here where he lives, our job, excuse me, is to actually make sure it's always fit for him and it's always improving. How many of you during COVID spend time fixing up your homes? I think Bunnings never did so much business in its history. While people are locked up in their homes, they spent a lot of time repainting, replastering, remodeling, fixing this and fixing that. Why? Because you want your house to be good. You, you, if you've got nothing else to do, you want, you want that to be good. Well, the question now is, if God is living within your heart, how much effort are you putting in, into that building there? Or do we just leave it in disrepair? Or do we just leave it and forget about it and say, oh, God's taking care of that? Or do we just put him in a particular room that's on the side? I don't want him in the main room of my house where I live. I want him on the, in a room, maybe one of the, I'll put him in bedroom number two. No. God needs to dwell within your whole house. He needs to have all doors open to him. And that's the question of our own lives because that is a daily, daily work. God wants us to prepare our hearts daily to put him first, to make sure that he comes first in all things. So we're going to compare a few of these. Go back to First Chronicles chapter 29 and look at verse 9 with me for a moment. So we've looked at the first point, and the first one was that we are to set our affection on him. You're going to have seven points now. I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. So pay very close attention. The first one was to set your affection on God, to put him first in your heart, Affection is a choice that you make. Affection is a choice. And love is a choice that you make, a decision that you make. It's not something you fall into. It's something that you choose to do when it comes to God. And so then the next point we have is verse 9 that says, in First Chronicles 29 verse 9, Then the people rejoiced after David had told them about what he had done. For that they offered willingly... Because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord, and David the king also rejoiced with great joy. So once David had told everyone about what he'd done, and he put his whole heart into this thing, and he'd given so much for the building of his temple, he called on everyone to do the same. He told everyone, you guys need to do the same too now. And their reaction was beautiful. It says they rejoiced. They, were, they rejoiced because they were happy with what he, how he had put God first, how he had given so much. He became an inspiration to them. 
And isn't that what we're called to do? If you put God first in your heart, then your call is to invite everyone else to do the same. It's not just my job up here, okay? That's why we have church. And we are called to help each other, to inspire each other, to challenge each other, to get closer to the Lord, to put Him first, to prepare our hearts, to make more and more room for Him, to remind each other on a regular basis how important He is and how not important most of the stuff in this world is that is easily distracting. That's what church is for, that we are called to challenge and edify and encourage and even rebuke each other. And David did that with his own people. It reminds us we are called to be reminded to set our affection on our Saviour and put him first in all things. And the angels did that job, didn't they? You know, when Jesus was born, the angels declared that he was had come into the world. They did that job. Turn back, turn with to Luke chapter 2, verse 8. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And we have this interaction that occurs after Jesus is born with the angels from heaven who had come down to the earth to notify and tell the shepherds who were looking after sheep in a field, hey, we want to tell you about something fantastic. And so Luke chapter 2 verse 8 says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord had made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. So just point number two here. The angels came and gave witness, they praised God, they gave an example and they shared important information with those shepherds. The shepherds then responded to that information, okay? So the angels did that. But did you know that we, if you are born again today, you are a citizen of heaven? God doesn't have to send angels into the world anymore to declare wonderful news. You know who he has sent into the world? You and me. And we are to be those deliverers of that, of that wonderful news and for them to see us praising God. That's our calling in life. We have been called to proclaim the arrival of the Son of God. And then the shepherds, when improved, that was true, which is what you're supposed to be doing in church. You see all the stuff that I'm telling you now? You're meant to be double-checking it. Because if I'm telling you some mumbo-jumbo up here, you need to be alert enough to spot it. And how do you spot if I'm telling you the truth or a lie? You check it by the word of God. And so the, so the shepherds responded 
properly to what they had been given. So if you have experienced the Lord today, if you know that he is alive because he's living within your heart and he's given you eternal life, then your job is like those angels. Your job is to proclaim that to other people in this world, to remind each other about what amazing things he's done for us and to praise him with your life. Now look, go back to 1 Chronicles 29.10, looking at the third point now. 1 Chronicles 29.10 Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation, and David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, for ever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honour come of thee. And thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand is, is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. And so the next point I want you to, to, to share with you about preparing your heart on a regular basis for God is to make sure that praise is a good part of that, is a big part of that. Look at how David praises God here. Look at how he lifts him up. We have a bit of a lost art uh, these days in praising God, but we are called to praise him and glorify him because we have been called to do that in our own lives. Our hearts become more prepared when we praise him because when we praise him, and you'll notice that Jesus started our, the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, with a praise with lifting God up and glorifying God first. Why? Because unless we remind ourselves how wonderful and great he is first, it's pointless to come to him with requests. We need to first of all remind ourselves how wonderful he is. And by praising him, it lifts our hearts closer to him. We should always celebrate and praise God for saving us. That's first and foremost. But what about for everything else that he is? And what about everything else that he has done? What about for all the prayers that he's already answered in our lives? Do it first when you pray. Do it often as you can. Your, our, yours and my life should be filled with praise for God every moment of the day. We have been called to praise God not only when we are, we are alone, but when we are together. God inhabits the praises of his people. When they get together, God rejoices in that that's why coming to church is an important thing the angels praise god in the passage we read but after the shepherds confirmed what they had heard from the angels look at what they did in luke chapter 2 verse 20 so the angels had praised god They'd given this wonderful message to the shepherds. The shepherds went along and they found him exactly as the angels had said. He's wrapped in all these, these cloths and he's, he's sleeping in a, uh, in, a, in, a, in a feeding trough. And then it says that after they had checked that out, verse 20 then says, and the shepherds returned. Look what they were doing. Glorifying and praising God for all the things that they'd heard and seen as it was told unto them. Put praise at a high priority in your life. Praise him often glorify him with everything you have and that is 
the next step in preparing your heart. Point four, go back to First Chronicles 29, 14. First Chronicles 29, 14. You might want to just keep your finger there because we're going to be just uh, jumping back and forth with that. Look at, look at what it says here now and, and see if you pick this up before I share it with you. David then says, mind you, David is the king of Israel, the most powerful man in his whole country. He says, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own we have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee, and sojourners, as were all our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. O Lord our God, all the store that we have prepared to build thee in house for thine holy name cometh from thine own, from thine hand. And is all thine own. Did you get what he was saying there? David humbles himself. Even though David is a king, even though David had himself much wealth and he'd given much wealth for the, for the building of God's house, he humbles himself before God and he recognizes his weakness, his frailty, and acknowledges that everything he has actually already belongs to God. In fact, all the stuff that he'd given, he says... This came from you. This is not coming from me. And so the calling for our lives, if you want to prepare your heart for the Lord, is humble yourself before him. Recognize that everything you have which is good in your life comes from him. And so when we humble ourselves, we are in a position to thank him properly. Otherwise, we become conceited in our own thoughts. We become proud thinking that we somehow have all these things of our own power so recognize god's love for you by recognizing how weak we are you know there were there were very powerful people in the world during um the days when jesus was born there was a caesar who had compelled people to travel back to their hometowns even though they may have moved from far away that's why that's why uh, joseph and mary had to travel from nazareth to uh, bethlehem he com there was compelled they were compelled to travel and stay back in the places where they were born or where their lineage was um there were people for the purpose of taxation so they would be taxed there were great and powerful armies in the world at that stage and the roman army being the most powerful at that stage and many other empires had come before her king herod's heart or king herod was was in power at that time and his heart was very far from god and ready to receive him that's for sure but there were there were some men who recognized their own weakness these men may have not recognized their weakness but there were some men that recognized the arrival of the king and chose to humble themselves and receive him. Turn to Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 with me.
Bible calls these men wise. Okay? These wise men actually travelled from another country. We don't even know how far they had travelled, but they came from another country to find him. They had left their home with probably very little information, but they knew one thing, that they wanted to find him and they wanted to prepare for his coming and also to give him gifts. So Matthew 2 verse 1 says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to, look at what they're doing, worship him. Not even Jews. These people from a different nation and culture altogether. Yet they had come to a distant land that they had probably never been to before, probably in a pretty precarious situations and probably dangerous situations to travel in those days. And they came for the purpose of finding this king so they could worship him. You know, when you worship, what are you doing? You're humbling yourself before them. And so they were willing to humble themselves before this king who they were coming to find and coming to bring him gifts as well. So the message for us here is to keep ourselves humble before the Lord. It's too easy to be distracted by our own pride and our own flesh. Keep yourselves humble. You want to make room for God in your heart and make more room? Stay humble before the Lord and lift him up always. First Peter 5.5 5 says, Likewise, and I love this passage because it says, it starts off with dealing with younger people and older people, and he says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Right? That's wise information because the elder knows more than the younger. Okay, And the elder should be given more respect. And then he says in the very next phrase, Yea, all of you be subject one to another. And be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Humble yourself before God, because he, he cares for you. And cast all your cares, whatever they may be, cast them upon him, because he knows all things. And he loves us enough to take care of us. Which brings us to the next point. Go back to 1 Chronicles 29, 17 now. We're looking at the fifth point. Look at what he does now. He says, I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of mine heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now have I seen with joy thy people, which are present here to offer willingly unto thee. So David, David had told everyone what he'd done. They had responded and given as well. And look at David's response. He's filled with joy to see the other people actually doing the same and following him. David rejoiced and was happy when people were doing good when people were doing that which was right. And this is a message for us as well. We often don't rejoice enough when people do good things. We always, we always try to minimise it. But we should rejoice. 
You know that every person in this church, I would say, has some sort of an issue they're dealing with, one way or the other. Some people have some serious issues they're dealing with and challenges they have in their own lives. And sometimes we don't encourage each other enough when we see them take a step forward. We take out the big stick when they do something wrong, don't we? Yeah? People, people love to bang people over their heads when they do something wrong. They may do a hundred things right, but yet when they do that one thing wrong, that is the thing that we're going to remind them about. But that's not what the scripture tells us to do. David here rejoices to see his people do the right thing. And we should rejoice when we see a brother or a sister take one step in the right direction. Because that leads to encouragement. And so we should do that not just for each other, because it's the right thing to do, but also for ourselves. Rejoice when you do something that's right. I mean, David was, was bold enough to say, I've done this out of the uprightness of my heart. Huh? Life was not meant to be a self-beating exercise. Okay? We are not called to beat each other up for every error and mistake that we make in our lives. We are also not, by any stretch of the imagination and by anything that's told us in Scripture, to carry sins that we have done and repented of a long time ago. Sometimes we have even a problem forgiving ourselves. God has maybe forgiven us a long time, lo lo longer, long ago, but you know what? Because we're harder taskmasters, we are, we are more holy than God, aren't we? We have to beat each other up and beat ourselves up to show God how good we are. But yet that is a complete fallacy. That is not what we've been called to do. We are not called to beat each other up we are called to lift one another up. Yes, a rebuke may be needed, but when that person takes a step in the right direction, we are called to then help them along, encourage them. I mean, there was a fellow who was caught in adultery, okay, who was in adultery that Paul says wasn't even common among the pagans, and yet by the, and he says, you know, put him out of the church. And yet by the very next letter, he says, you know, be gentle with him now, he's repented. Bring him back in, encourage him, don't break his heart. We're called to do the same. We are called to help each other, to encourage one another. And David does that with his own people. He rejoices when he sees them doing one good thing. And we should do the same thing with each other. Now, these wise men, and there weren't just three, by the way. We don't know how many wise men there were. People just automatically assume there were three because there were three types of gifts. There could have been more, okay? There may have even been less, okay? But there was probably more of these guys who were, who were arriving. Now, can you imagine these guys set out from a distant country, probably on camel and, and ready for this long haul, not knowing what they're going to encounter. They didn't know what was going to happen. They could have been killed along the way by marauders or, uh, or thieves, Okay, and they, and they finally get to the place. Can you imagine the joy that these guys, when they finally found that star, shining that light over that stable onto the place where Jesus was? Can you imagine the joy? You know, when, you, when you've gone through a long, a long, long trip, okay, and you've risked a lot to get there, I mean, they're carrying, they're carrying a lot of wealth, which would have made them a little bit susceptible. You know, 
I know my wife, um, when we've got too much money sitting in a wallet or something like that, she gets a little bit nervous. Huh? Mary gets a bit nervous carrying too much cash just in case you might lose it or, you know, someone might steal it or whatever else it is, which is probably a fair enough thing, right? But can you imagine these guys who have got gold, frankincense, myrrh, and they're travelling from a faraway place. They don't know where the destination is. They don't even know where they're going. All they know is they're heading in that direction. Can you imagine their joy when they see the place after this long and perilous journey? All their planning and effort, all their hopes were realised in a moment. Can you imagine the joy they had together? The joy they had for each other. When you're in it together with the team, you rejoice together and you're happy for each other because you've finally achieved something together. And that's what they had. So you see Matthew chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. If you want to turn there, you can. It says, When they had heard the king, they departed. So uh, Herod had told them, you know, I want you to go and find, <laughs> find out where he is and come back and report to me because I, I want to give him something as well. He wanted to give him something not very nice. It says that when they had heard the king, they departed and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Now that is something worth rejoicing about together. So when we do things as a church, when we... When God blesses us with the resources and whatever else or the direction that we're, we're going in, when we see each other doing a good thing, rejoice. Rejoice. And especially rejoice if you've found Christ. Rejoice together. Because we've got the most precious treasure that anyone could ever imagine. Rejoice together. And we should be rejoicing as often as we possibly can. Which brings us to point six. Go back to First Chronicles 29.18. First Chronicles 29, 18 says, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people and prepare their heart unto thee. Now that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? He's telling God, he's praying to God, please keep this excitement, this imagination that they have about building the temple in their hearts perpetually. I want you, God, to make sure it's in there and stays there. Please, you prepare their hearts. Now, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? That he's praying that God would help them remember and stay excited about this. And this really is about believing God can change your heart. And even prepare your heart in order to receive him and to receive more of him. The wise men were said to have searched diligently for the child. When the shepherds heard the good news, it says that they made haste to go and find that child. Who do you think moved their hearts? Who do you think moved the hearts of a foreign people to come and to find this king? Wasn't it God? Of course it was. Who moved and got the shepherds excited? about wanting to find out whether this thing was true. It was God. And God can move not only your heart, 
He can move the hearts of your pe- the people that you love around you. God moved the hearts of his people to find Jesus. And God can move our hearts too to find him, if you haven't got him already, but also to want more of him and to find more of him. David prays the Lord would influence the heart of the hearts of his people to keep their imaginations, this dream alive within them so that they would continue to build the temple and to prepare their hearts. Yes, God is involved with preparing hearts of people and we call this thing grace. We call it grace. Grace is not the a fixed thing. For grace can be abused and grace can even be wasted. We can ask God to move hearts. And God gives grace in order that hearts are prepared before him. Grace is linked to faith in the Bible. Did you know that? The Bible says that you've been saved by grace through faith. You see, those two things fit together. And so faith is trusting in him. When you begin to trust God, when you begin to to trust him more, he gives you more grace. And the grace leads to more faith and more trust. And God can move your heart if you simply take that next step, if you use the grace that he gives you. God will never force you to do anything, but he will open up your eyes to stuff. The question will then be what you do when you actually find it. And what you will do with it when you have it. And so we find that God influenced the hearts of these wise men. God stirred the hearts of the shepherds to find Jesus. He stirred the hearts of the people with King David to build that temple. So pray for more grace. Pray for grace. Because we need grace every day of our lives. Grace didn't stop. We didn't stop needing grace when we got saved. We were saved by grace, but we need it every day. So pray for more of it. And this is the reason, if you look at the very next verse, God prays, sorry, David prays that God would give Solomon a clean heart. Look at verse 19. He says, And give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, and to do all these things, and to build the palace for the which I have made provision. What was David's desire? That God would influence the heart of the, his son to be perfect, to follow his commands. And if you're wondering whether you need more grace, the question you need to ask yourself, first of all, is how much do I love Jesus? And the second thing of all, which measures your love for Jesus, is how well am I obeying him? Jesus says, if you obey my commandments, That's the way you show that you love me. So a yardstick for ourselves is how we are obeying. Because if we are not obeying, then talk is cheap. Okay, So we are not loving him properly if we don't obey. That's when we need more grace. So pray for that if you need it. Okay, In fact, pray for it every day anyway, because we need it every day. And finally, go back to 1 Chronicles 29.20. It says, And David said unto all the congregation, Now bless the Lord your God, and all the congregation blessed the Lord of their fa- Lord God of their fathers, and bowed down their heads and worshipped the Lord 
and the king. So as we've been sharing on Wednesday evening, we have been created for the glory of God. That is our purpose. That is the very reason that we are here. That is the reason that all the creation is here. That is the reason that all the angels are there and, and wherever they are, okay? We've all been created for the glory of God. As a congregation, as a people, as a church, we have been given a great, great gift. The gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Never forget who you now are because you have been adopted as a child into God's own family. You are now allowed to be here on this earth as a stranger and a pilgrim. Why? Because you are an ambassador of heaven now to earth. You are no longer citizens of this earth. From, a, from God's perspective, you are now citizens of heaven. And so much of the world may celebrate Christmas, but for the believer... It's Christmas every day in your heart because Jesus is new every day and his mercies are new every day. If you have him within your heart, you have eternal life. You can never lose it. And so you have a lot of hope that this world doesn't have and this world needs a lot of hope. It doesn't have much hope. Okay, So bless God with your life. Bless him with your mouth. Bless him with the things you do, the things you say, and worship him in every aspect of your life. The angels worshipped him. The shepherds worshipped him. The wise men worshipped him. King David worshipped him. And all the congregation of Israel worshipped him. Now, it's your turn and my turn. Okay? We have been put here at this particular time for a reason. So David provides us seven ways to prepare our heart for the Lord. Please, during this time as you reflect with your friends or your family upon the birth of the savior make extra room for him spend that time together to encourage others to make room for him if they haven't received him already point them to the savior focus on the task at hand put the effort into it okay because it is very very important do you have christ this morning do you have him within your heart if you do, God bless you. If you don't, or if you're not sure, then you need to prepare your heart to receive him. Please, make sure that the door is opened for him and allow him to come into your life. I just want to share um, this beautiful hymn, How Silently, How Silently, The Wondrous Gift is Given. Now, listen to these words of this, of this, um, of this ca Christmas carol. How silently... How silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Yes, he is dear. Merry Christmas to you all.